What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. We've got a pretty good episode today. A lot of, a lot of news in the, in the Texas Tech world, for sure. Um, we'll kind of start off with some horse racing news. The Preakness Stakes took place on Saturday, uh, kind of like the last major horse race of the year. 147th running of it. Pretty unique that you know, horse racing's got this much history, 147 runnings of it. Pretty cool. Once again, the favorite epicenter. Um a favorite at five to four odds came in second to early voting who had five to one odds going into the race tied for the second best and won by a length and a half. So pretty good race. Um, again, you know, the top two odds getters, um, it came in sec- first and second. So not super unique there. Pretty good, uh, pretty good odds on that one. And then third and final race of the triple crown will take place on Saturday, June 11th, where the Kentucky Derby champion wrist strike will return to action. Um, so we've got kind of like the three majors, right? Yeah. Triple crown. So three majors, yeah. um, I guess majors, it's what calling golf. I don't know what they call it in horse yeah. racing. Uh, I'll call it a major uh, or triple crown races. Uh, last one's coming up on, in June here. Um, Rich strikes back in action. Don't know if I'm going to bet on him. We'll see. Uh, probably not because his odds will be super, super inflated. But uh, don't know if I'll take those odds for him, but we'll see. Yeah, no, definitely uh, should be exciting race there. The Belmont Stakes. I mean, really, really looking forward. To seeing how that turns out, you know, the Preakness and Maryland wasn't quite as exhilarating as the Kentucky Derby. You know, we didn't see a like some like a hundred yard comeback or whatever from the long shot to win it. I mean, the top two odds horses came in first and second. Not too much of a shocker. Uh, good to see. Maybe I guess not the favorite win, but uh, maybe the favorite will win this time. You know, epicenters come up short in both both races, so. Maybe he'll take him the dub this time around in the finale. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm sure I, if I bet on him, I'm sure his odds will be the highest again, um, but I'll probably still take him. But we'll kind of swiftly move into the NHL here. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning clinched their spot in Eastern Conference Finals, sweeping the Florida Panthers and won the President's Trophy, which you win for getting the best record in the league. Uh, Lightning outscored the Panthers 13-3 in the series. Uh, definitely not what was kind of expected going into the series. Um, the Lightning kind of come, they're coming off two Stanley Cup championships, looking for a third. Stanley Cup trophy here this year, um, but they weren't quite as good as they've been in the regular season the past couple of years. Um, you know, Florida, like we said, was President's Trophy winner, best record in the NHL. So a uh, little surprising to see them get swept. Um, I kind of had a feeling it might happen, though. And once Tampa took those first two games in, I guess I'd say in Florida, um, I don't remember, I don't remember which city off the top of my head where the Florida Panthers play in. But when, the, when yeah. Tampa took the first two on the road against Florida, you kind of had a feeling it would be a quick, a quick exit for, for Florida at that point. But um, yeah, Tampa Lightning on their quest for a three-peat here seem to be chugging along just fine. They're going to get a nice break uh, as the Rangers and the Car- and the Carolina Hurricanes are tied two to two. So the game will, that series will go at least to game six. So the Lightning get a huge, a huge break here, kind of get some rest before the Eastern Conference finals uh, in hockey and the NHL. Out in the Western Conference, the Avalanche are up three to two on the St. Louis Blues and the Edmonton Oilers are up three to one on the Calgary Flames. I'm pulling for Edmonton. I really like Connor McDavid. I mean, he, that's kind of like a bandwagon thing, I guess. But like, I'm not a hockey fan, so I'm allowed to do that. I think. Um, yeah. I, I'd love to see him do well. They, they've Edmonton's been a team that's not really not had a lot of success in a while. So, and, and he was kind of like the the golden child when he came in, um, kind of like the savior. And he's he's been that for him. So, we'd love to see him keep going. I mean, he he's he's gone off, and he's I mean, he had, I think he had four assists uh, in their game two win. I think game two or three wins. So, or game. Yeah, it was in the game too. He had like three or four assists. Um, he went off. Evander Kane had a hat trick. So, um, getting a ton of contributions there. And then Colorado, a lot of people thought that would be a sweep or a quick exit for St. Louis, but St. Louis certainly made it a series. Um, Avalanche will look to clinch tomorrow night in game six at, in St. Louis. But tonight we've got a couple of game fives. The Rangers are going to be at Carolina playing the Hurricanes. Uh, game's currently going on. Do we have a score update on that actually? Let's give that a quick zero look zero um, in the first period. Yeah, I know it just started, so it's still zero zero. Um, no quick goals there. And then uh, Oilers at Flames will be later tonight. So Edmonton traveling to Calgary, short trip there, and Alberta. Um, so yeah, it's seven or eight thirty uh, Central Time, uh, nine thirty Eastern Time. So this should be a really good game. Uh, pivotal game five there. I, I, you know, the Flames have to win. So. Um, you know, I think I think they'd probably take the one at home and then they go back to Edmonton and probably lose in game six and, and the Oilers move on. But uh been a really great series there, been a great series with the Rangers and the Hurricanes as well so far. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see how these series turn out. 
Now the Hurricanes kind of weird. They're something like zero and five on the road this postseason and six and zero at home. Uh, so they're home today. So I'll say they take the three two series lead after tonight's game. Um, but that should be another fun one. I mean, it could go seven. The Rangers came back from down three one against the Penguins. So it'll be a very interesting series there in the East to find out who's going to face off with Tampa. And then in the West, both series that are, teams are closer matched compared to the East. And, you know, Edmonton and Calgary basically had identical records uh, in the regular season. So that'll be fun to see, you know, who comes out of tonight's game with a dub. Kind of most games that they've played have been pretty high scoring. So that'll be fun. And then, yeah, I mean, Blues Avalanche thought the Avalanche would win. They got the highest odds of the teams remaining to win it all. So, I mean, I'd say they wouldn't win because they're in St. Louis. But then again, they they know what they're playing for. So it could be a they could clinch the series tonight. Yeah, it should be good. I mean, like we said, it's going to be a uh, kind of a crazy, crazy finish there. I think again, you, like you said, super high scoring games uh, in the in the Calgary and Edmonton series. That should be good. I think kind of opposite to what we saw with Calgary and, and Dallas. I mean, that was that that game seven, Dallas goalie yeah. had like, was it like almost sixty saves or sixty plus saves? So, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a nice change of pace. I, I think it's better. I think hockey fans prefer when there's more scoring. So casual fans like us probably prefer more scoring. So um, definitely should be a good closeout here as we get kind of into the conference finals in a couple of weeks, or I guess in a week, couple of games rather. Yeah. No. Next week we'll have. The conference finals matchups, probably a couple games in, hopefully, depending on how the games tonight and tomorrow go. That's pretty much it for the NHL, though. Just keeping you all up to date on the playoffs and kind of where the series are standing currently. Uh, we're going to shift to golf, our busiest week of golf that we've had since the pod began. Uh, a lot of news this week. As you all know, the second major of the year occurred this past weekend at Southern Hills Golf Course in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, It was really crazy. You know, the PGA Championship is an event where, you know, it's iconic. It's always been iconic. The Wanamaker Trophy named uh, last name is the last name of a famous former golfer. And it's always just so iconic, you know, at the end of the player holding up the trophy, as is any major. Um, But it's really fun to watch. We had all the top stars in it with it being a major tire woods made the cut by one shot uh kind of disappointing his first round he was two under through five and then finished around four over uh made it made about one shot but on saturday uh he shot a nine over 79 so basically put him in last place of the remaining players um the way they do it is they cut enough guys to where there's 70 plus any ties remaining so there were like 73 players at plus four or better than that would be the cut line. And that was the case this year. Um, and so he, he took himself out of contention with shooting that 79 there on Saturday. And then withdrew later that evening to help limit the wear and tear on his body and just gear up for the next event, which, I mean, if he's only looking at majors with there being four a year, uh, the next one would be here in about three weeks. So he definitely needs to get ready for that. Um, but it would have been even a bigger week if it if that could have even happened uh, for Red Raiders. If Mito Pereira, former Red Raider, held Man. on in the PGA Championship. Um, first of all, Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris were in the clubhouse at five under to finish their tournament. They're waiting to see the result of Mito Pereira, who just came onto the scene recently. And Pereira was online for in line for his first ever tour victory. He had a one stroke lead going into the final hole of the tournament and he chose to go with driver off the tee on the par 418 and a very weird swing. You could tell he was trying to just prevent the slice and it slices just enough to where it lands in the dead center of the Creek that runs across the fairway. And he landed it in the right rough. Um, so he had to take that penalty stroke and he was hitting three out of the rough and he missed the green. I believe it was in the bunker. Had to get out of the green and two-putted for double bogey. Um, but he doubled the hole, and he went from four under and in first place by one shot to – or, sorry, from six under in first place by one shot to four under and was in second place by one shot. Uh, Justin Thomas and Zalatoris leapfrogged him there as he recorded that double bogey. He ended up losing by one stroke, which is just crushing. I mean – you got to imagine for him, he lost out on so much money. 
Um, the double bogey cost him $1.83 million. Dude, that's were, ridiculous. If he were oh. to have parred that hole, he would have gotten $2.7 million. Hey, still, I mean, Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris entered a three-hole playoff. Uh, the way it works in majors, you don't just have a playoff until someone betters the other. They have to play a three-hole, so it's fair. Um, they played the par 5 13th, the par 4 17th, and the par 4 18th. Justin Thomas played those three holes two under as he birdied the 13th and the 17th. And Will Zalatoris played them one under, just birdying the par 5 13th. So JT beat Will by one shot in that playoff, and he earned himself 2.7 mil. Zalatoris took home 1.6. So once again, Zalatoris by one stroke loses out on 1.1 mil. Uh, Pereira, the former Red Raider, finished tied for third. He won 870000 so I'm not complaining about that if I'm him. Yeah, so I was going to say, listen, that's still a bag. You know what I'm saying? It's just what, it's not 2.7 mil, but it's still a bag. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's not bad. What could have been for him, though, it would have been incredible. Um, oh, yeah. And maybe the greatest week for Texas Tech in history, if we're being honest, um, in terms of all-around sports, all accomplishments. Yeah, all-around athletic achievements would have been insane. So starting today, as we kind of shift – off of that second major and get geared up towards the third one in mid-June. Um, we have the Charles Schwab Challenge at the Colonial Country Club, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. Jason Kokrak won the event last year. Uh, the event's purse is 8.4 mil. Uh, purse is basically the total payout to all players that make the cut and finish their rounds. Uh, so the winner will take home 1.512 of that, uh, 1.1502. 512,000. So the winner gets 18% of that total purse. Um, but non PGA tour news, a current red Raider Ludwig Aberg won the Ben Hogan award Monday. And it's given to the nation's best amateur golfer. Uh, that is a male. So that's insane. Uh, this dude played in the masters when it was going on. It's just crazy that a dude that goes to your college, you know, Texas tech men's golf wasn't a huge thing until a couple years when, a couple years ago when he got here. So that's crazy. Uh, props to him. The dude is incredible. Every part of his game is incredible. Um, I saw a few highlights. It's just insane what he's able to do with that much pressure. Definitely a PGA Tour card coming his way um, as he has a bright future in golf. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see. Um, again, like, you know, uh, you know, UT's had a ton of golfers. I mean, you look at Spieth and Scotty Scheffler come, come to mind immediately of like, recent guys. But it's really cool to see uh, a guy from Texas Tech, a couple of I mean, two guys. I mean, have have great weekends here um, in, in, in the golf world. So really cool to see. Definitely two guys from Texas Tech should be on the tour here pretty soon and, and making some noise, hopefully. Certainly, uh, Mito will be and hopefully uh, – Ludwig can do the same here pretty soon and get on the tour. Like you said, PGA Tour cars should be coming pretty soon for him, considering how, he, how he's been playing as of late. Um, so, like I said, really, really cool to see from our college, though. It's unique. Um, not, a lot of, not a lot of colleges can say they have multiple guys on tour, um, especially when you're in Texas. I and mean, the fact that, you know, Tech, University of Texas Golf is, you know, one of the best programs in the nation uh, year in and year out. So, um, pretty cool to see another school in Texas, and especially our own, have another couple more golfers. It's good for the state, too. You know, I'm always pulling for guys from the state of Texas, so no doubt. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'm glad to see you guys find success, especially, especially at a young age. Um, as we kind of shift in a different direction golf-wise, the sixth edition of the match, uh, which is aired on TNT, will take place at the Wynn Golf Club in Paradise, Nevada, just outside of Las Vegas, on this upcoming Wednesday, June 1st. It'll be the first edition that a pro golfer will not participate in. Uh, normally we always have, you know, we had the Bryson versus Brooks most recently. We had Tiger and Phil versus Peyton and Tom and stuff like that. And we all always had a pro golfer. I mean, it started with Tiger versus Phil. Um, but this time around, it'll be a battle of the QBs from different eras as the young guys, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, We'll take on the old guys and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it'll be a match play format. So each shot, the pairings will take the best shot between the two. And whatever team wins more holes will take home the dub. Um, if I had to just give up off the head um, prediction, 
I'm going to say Brady and Rodgers win. We're going to say three and two, which means they're three up with two to go, meaning Mahomes and Allen can't win. I'm, I'm taking the old guys, no doubt. No questions asked. I'm t- Aaron Rodgers is like a pretty decent, pretty decent golfer, yeah. and Tom's been golfing a lot. So I'm taking, I'm taking the old guys, taking the old heads, ten out of ten times right now, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, they also have more experience. They've done, they've each done a match or two before by themselves. Yeah. I think Tom's done three. Um, yeah, Mahomes and Allen, don't get me wrong, are good golfers, and I think they can make it interesting. But I mean, Aaron and Tom, they just they've golfed longer just because they're older and yeah. they have more experience doing this stuff. So I definitely think, you know, they're going to take home the dub, but it's funny that they're doing this during OTAs. Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting. Don't, don't know if I love that if I'm a fan of one of those teams, but whatever, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for a loaded uh, golf week. You know, so much going on between the tour, the Texas Tech connections. And then we have a match this week, which should be fun. We'll recap that on next week's episode. So kind of shift to the MLB, though. You know, a lot going on. We're getting into the big part of the season here as we're kind of settling in, nearing the quarter way through mark of the regular season. Uh, We're going to get into some stats updates, um, something we don't normally do every week. We just want to keep all updated on kind of, you know, who's balling out right now. And we're going to start off with ERA. Um, fifth, we got Nestor Cortez from the Yankees. I know he pitched really well against the Orioles a few days ago. He's sitting at a 1.8 right now. Paul Blackburn from the Oakland Athletics at a 1.7. Martin Perez, Martin Perez from the Texas Rangers at 1.64. Alec Manoa uh, from the Blue Jays at a 1.62. And by a big margin, Justin Verlander with the Astros is at the top with a 1.22. Obviously, still early in the season, these guys are going to have a lot more appearances and starts under their belt when, you know, the stats will probably be a little bit higher. Um, you know, a lot of guys start out hot, come on, kind of die off, and a lot of guys don't get hot until the end of the year. So I think we'll see some fluctuation in the ERAs pretty drastically between now and the end of the year. And a lot of guys, a lot of different guys there at the top. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think Alec Manoa can probably will probably I think probably be in the top five of this list for a while. He's a young arm. Uh, he's got a ton of stamina just because he's a young guy. Um, you know, Martin Perez has been he's kind of a guy who jumped up at this list recently. A couple, a couple no run outings here the last couple of days or last couple of starts rather. Um, he looks really good for the for the Rangers. I mean, kind of surprising to see an arm from the Rangers. Same thing with Oakland here with, with Paul Blackburn, another couple of good outings recently. Um, Nestor Cortez, another guy who I could see being on here for a couple more weeks and maybe dropping off a guy who has never had a you know longevity in his career per, per se in terms of uh, like season longevity. Um, but he, he could. I mean, you never know. He could be kind of like this year's Robbie Ray where nobody really expected him to stay as hot as he was, and he, and he stayed hot and won an AL Cy Young. So um could certainly see Nestor Cortez have a really good year. And then Verlander is one that uh, – I, I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's doing right now. Coming off Tommy John, um, I think – you know, the extra – he has some extra time and some extra rest due to kind of having – kind of still during COVID, I guess. Um, and then kind of his rehab was just extended a little bit. So, he got a bunch of time off. So, I think that was good for his arm being an older guy. I think he's got – he's probably the, the healthiest he's been in years. Um, I just wonder if he, as an older guy, can his arm can kind of keep up. Um, you know, I think he probably slips down the board a little bit here. It would be impressive to see him stay up there, and it would be awesome to see just – you know, as a, as a baseball fan, it's pretty cool to see a guy like that who's, who's older. Um, it's kind of like what Max Scherzer did last year, had a really good year last year and was in Scion contention at the end of the year um, for the Nats and the Dodgers. I mean, it was pretty cool to see an older guy like that. So, again, it'd be cool to see Justin Greenland have a, has a kind of a resurgent year as an older guy coming off Tommy John. But I just know how long that arm holds up being an older guy with a lot of pitches on it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, definitely exciting to see him be this good this late in his career. But like you said, I don't know how long it holds up. Going to shift over to strikeouts now, where we got five different guys up on the board. Um, Kevin Gosman, number five from the Blue Jays, uh, looking really good as he has the past few years with 65K so far. Corbin Burns, uh, my Cy Young pick for this year, a winner last year from the Brewers at 67 right now. Robbie, Witt, Robbie Ray from the Mariners at 68, another good pitcher. Um, has been balling out recently. 
Dylan Cease from the White Sox. Uh, he's kind of been maybe one of the stars that they didn't see coming. Uh, they thought they would have some more. They thought it would be better all around. But he's definitely a pleasant surprise for the White Sox there. Uh, Shane McClanahan up there at the top by three with 74 Ks. Uh, impressive year from him so far. I know and I think the Orioles tagged him for a few earlier in the year. But I think the last time we faced him, he pitched pretty well. Yeah. I mean, two young guys at the top. I mean, Dylan Cease is a guy who's only been in the majors like, what, a, a season or two. I mean, he's a super young guy. Same with yeah. McClanahan. Both really young guys. So good for the game of baseball to see two young arms up there. Really impressive. Um, uh, kind of the one of the lone bright spots, surprisingly, um, for the White Sox outside of Tim Anderson. Um, Dylan Cease is, I mean, they've been, they've been they've underwhelmed to a huge extent here. And, and Dylan Cease has been a bright spot for him. Which is good to see, and then you get three three household names behind him at three three through five with Robbie Ray and Corbin Burns, the two Cy Young winners last year, and then Kevin Gosman, a guy who had a, who's probably the best pitcher in baseball through the All Star break, and then kind of he tapered off at the end of the year a little bit. Um, but I mean, still a great pitcher. Um, left St. or St. Louis, uh, left San Francisco in the offseason, went to Toronto for for some more money, so I don't blame him there. Um, he's definitely earning it right now. Toronto's got. You know, him and him and Manoa look really good. And, and Jose Barrios is my Cy Young pick. He's had a quietly good year. He had a couple – got knocked around a little bit the first couple starts, but he's kind of settled in a little bit. Um, kind of the, the saving grace for Toronto with their offense being as bad as it has. But, um, yeah, good to see a couple of young guys at the top. They really like that. Yeah, uh, it's always exciting to see kind of the next generation of ball players, you know, produce really well on the biggest stage. Shift to the offensive side of things, batting average. Uh, give you the top five, Paul Goldschmidt. No surprise here on the Cardinals. Uh, he's just been, you know, a really good average guy for a long time, really. It seems like the past 10 years he's been right there at the top for most of the season, batting 344. Luis Arias, the second baseman from the Twins, a uh, younger guy. Batting 347. I don't know if he's had as many at bats. We mentioned a few he weeks ago. He has. Some of these I, guys. I, I did check these today. When I, when right. I especially for at, for uh, ERA and averages, I went through and I was like, all right, I got to make sure these guys have been playing. So Arias yeah. has got like maybe a couple games, less games played, but it's still like up in there in the high 30s, 40s. So that's a legit average up there at 347. All right. Um, and then Tim Anderson there, uh, White Sox 355. Uh, he's doing some, I guess, on the offensive side of things. He leads the league in errors on the defensive side. So. Not ideal season for him so far, and a couple other, you know, things have been going on with him. Number two, Manny Machado from the Padres, batting 361. He's having an MVP caliber season to this point. Um, just one of those guys that always produces at the plate and on the, in the field. And then leading the way, J.D. Martinez from the Red Sox, a guy that's really, uh, since he went to Boston, he's kind of revitalized his career, uh, you know, when he was in Detroit. He was still hitting well, uh, but it seems like he's taking the next step since he's been with the Red Sox. So it's, that's good to see uh, for Red Sox fans. He's betting 372 to this point in the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, these numbers will fall. I think the, I think you'll probably see Tim Anderson, Machado up here, Goldschmidt. Will, I mean, Gold is going to sit around the top 10 anyways. Um, he's not, not not the power hitter he was when he was in Arizona, and I think, what, 2014, 2015, when he was just – he was an MVP caliber player, but – um, he's still a great average hitter. Um, don't know if we'll see a rise in JD up here for the rest of the season. Um, but JD Martinez is always kind of a good average hitter for sure. Um, probably not as powerful as he once was a couple seasons ago when they won that World Series, but still a great player nonetheless. Um, and 372 is an incredible batting average. I mean, if I think last year the leading batting average was like 340 something in each, pardon me, in each league. So really good so far. Uh, probably. Couple of guys cool off, but again, be great to see a couple of guys bat over 350 this year. Um, be pretty, pretty nice to see. We'll kind of go to the power side of things and home runs here. Uh, got four guys tied for second with 12 home runs. We got Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, Mike Trout for the Angels, CJ Cron for the Colorado Rockies, and Jordan Alvarez for the Houston Astros. All tied at 12. Uh, I know Mookie Betts has he's come on. He's been on a tear as of late. I think he's got like you know, eight of his 12 homers have come in like the last 12 games. So he's, he's kind of on a tear right now. He's kind of woken up his bats, woken up for sure. Um, and Aaron judge from the New York Yankees leading it with 17. Um, he's had an MVP year. I think he was my MVP pick uh, preseason. So he's having a great year. The whole Yankees team's having a great year offensively and defensively. Um, finally, kind of the Yankees are looking the part they've and actually like playing the part. I mean, they've looked the part for however many years now, but they're actually playing the part. So um Really good year so far for him. 
And then from on RBIs, um, a couple other guys with similar there as well. Kind of go hand in hand with homers and RBIs. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see how these home run numbers shake out. I got a couple of things. First of all, the Hurricanes just scored on the Rangers. They're up one nothing with three minutes left in the first period. All righty. Second of all, I got a hot take from the cold seat. I like – now, the numbers at this point in the year are probably about standard to where they normally are. Normally, there's more home runs in the first half before the All-Star break than there is after. Um, but I do like, you know, the differences they've done. You know, dead ball, I like it. Um, the way you fix that is by removing the shift, and that's what they're doing next year. I think the shift ruins baseball. Um, it takes – all these things hitters have learned out of the equation. Um, you know how many times we see guys that there's no one on one half of the infield and you know, there's a dude straight up and three dudes on the right side or three dudes on the left side. And then you just lay almost a bunt double down the opposite line where there's no one. Um, just kind of, there's still loopholes to, you know, override the shift and get away with it. Um, but I do think I love offensive games when there's high scoring games it's more exciting obviously but i also like just traditional baseball where you're not seeing bombs all the time and you're seeing good solid base hits and you know between the second and first baseman and between the short and third and roping them in the gap um i think it's better that way than just seeing k's or bombs um I think Aaron Judge's numbers are a little inflated because they play in the creative park there in Bronx. Um, couple with, couple creative parks out there in the AL East, man. Seriously. I know. I mean, the Orioles have now the most pitcher-friendly park in the nation, and the Yankees have – the Yankees and Red Sox both have like 315 down the line. Well, let's talk about um, the monster too then too. I mean, who, who needs a wall that high? Nobody. So yeah. put that in there too. Yeah, I mean – it doesn't Jesus. take that big of a homer to get over <laughs> no. it, but it's like no. you can easily just like poke one out. I mean, the wall in the right field for the Red Sox is like three feet high, and it's like 300 feet out. It looks like like a 12U selects team ballpark, and then you got the <laughs> Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. They just have these awnings up top with flags, and it looks like they just built some grandstands around – uh, local little league because like it's it's hilarious to see what the yankees do man this this, so, this sounds personal like did, did a yankees player maybe make a comment about the Orioles ballpark this seems a little personal well, well judge did say that the orioles ballpark was unfair because if you hit it to a certain spot in the left it's the only ballpark that it's not a homer go cry about it bro you, you apparently he hit it to the warning track where it wasn't a homer and apparently it wasn't good enough for him. Well, it has paid dividends for the Orioles, though, I will say. Opponents have been robbed six times. If it were last year's dimensions, the Orioles have been robbed twice. So maybe just Judge needs to hit the gym so he can poke it out uh, of our ballpark. Because Listen, he's no, he's no big, strong guy like Pete Alonzo. I mean, what are we talking about? He's no big, strong guy like him. I mean, Pete Alonzo is a big, strong dude. And if he wanted to hit it 600 feet, he could. Hey, hey, did you know Pete Alonso is a big, strong guy? If he wanted to hurt somebody, he could. He's a big, strong guy. Yeah, I mean, if he wanted to knock him out, he very well could. Um, referring to an interview he had after a on-field incident. Oh, man, Pete Alonso. Uh, what a character. Who was that, the Cardinals? Yeah, I don't even remember it was over, man. It was some petty drama. Yeah, it was some. Baseball really players weird. are so soft, man. I hate it. Like, yeah, kind of a tangent we've gotten on here, but – it's so – like, Aaron Judge getting upset about that is so soft. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, like, you're, You've had 17 bombs this year. You play for the You're in Yankees. the major leagues. Yeah, like, get over it, dude. This is not Little and League. He, and he took advantage of the Orioles having a smaller ballpark for these past four or five years, whatever, playing them nine times a year in Baltimore. So, we move the wall back 20 feet, and he starts whining about how he can't hit a homer over it. So I don't know what the deal is. He's still leading the league by five, if that's what matters to him. Um, but he's, I mean, him and Pete Alonzo, you know, Pete Alonzo is 
is a strong guy, you know. He's a he's a big strong guy. Let's be honest. But he he kind of ruined the home run derby last year. If I'm being oh, honest. he he definitely did. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like it, it's literally it's the home run derby. Like nobody actually cares about it anymore. Like I don't know. Like it's bro, get <laughs> over it. <laughs> so I'll end this tangent in a minute. But Trey Mancini, he's a player on the Orioles. Incredible guy. He's a really solid hitter. He hits around 300 every year. Um, he overcame cancer last year. He missed probably about the first half of the year. Um, and he came back kind of uh, two weeks before the All-Star break, and he made the home run derby. Um, I don't know why he was selected. He's not really a power hitter, so to speak. Um, but he made it, and he was doing really well. I forget he beat two guys in the individual rounds, but he made it to the finale versus Pete Alonzo. And he had, like, some crazy number. And I think Pete Alonzo broke it with, like, 20 seconds left uh, on his time. And Pete Alonzo's, like, doing a LeBron, like, silencer dance over this it's dude. Like, it's, like he just, it's, like he just wa- it's like he just walked off the World Series. Like, you just won the Home Run Derby. And calm down, bro. It's not that deep. It was, it was funny, but it was also just annoying. He's, like, his interview after whatever it was, like, I don't even remember what he said, but. Well, I mean, listen, he's a big, strong guy. He's going to have a lot of homers, so. Yeah, I mean, he probably started it with Mr. Hulk, Pete Alonzo. <laughs> it's, it's whatever, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's no shock that Judge is up by five, but don't complain about ballparks. Facts. Well, Aaron Judge, it's not affecting his RBI numbers because he's tied at fourth in RBI. He's with 34, yeah. so it's, it's not hurting him there. He's tied with Trey Turner from the Dodgers, Los Angeles Dodgers at 34 as well. Um, John Carlos Stanton, another Yankee who is hitting just fine in the small ballpark, so don't complain. He's got 35 RBIs, one ahead of Turner and Judge in the three spot. Pete Alonzo, big, Pete, big strong guy Alonzo, second here with 41 RBIs. I honestly I mean, expect str- more. I mean, from a strong guy, he should have 100 by now, if we're being honest. I mean, 41 through, what is it, 50-something games, 48 games. A big strong guy like him should have a lot more. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, listen. It's, it's kind of underwhelming. Listen, a guy as strong as him should have, like, you know, at least 80 to eighty to 90 by now. I'm, I'm being generous to 80 to 90, a guy as strong as him. So, you know, we'll see. And then at the yeah. one spot here is Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Guardians with 43 um you know two rbis ahead of pete's big strong guy alonzo so um good great for jose probably put that on his resume when he retires and gets a job that he you know what 50, 50 something games of the year had two more rbis than this is the biggest and strongest guy in the mlb hey you know if i'm jose ramirez i'm watching out for the guy that's right behind me pete alonzo you know any given night pete alonzo could drop 20 rbis uh jose ramirez you know always a really really good hitter Always bats for average, always has a ton of RBIs come the season. You know, when the season wrap up, wraps up, he's always there always there near the top. Um, but like I said, you know, Pete Alonzo, get on quick. So you don't want to cross paths with Mr. Pete over there in uh, Queens that they play. But uh, another update, the Rangers tied the Hurricanes, and they are now at the first intermission. So it's one-to-one with two periods to play. All righty. And we're getting, I guess, update if, if we're doing score updates. What's that score on the uh, TCU Texas game, real quick? So we're not UT, there to NCAA baseball yet. We're almost there, but UT is up four to two, and they just scored uh, their fourth run in the top of the eighth. Okay, so it's still a tight game there. Right. So hopefully by the time we get to there, it'll be a little, we'll be a little score update in a minute. But uh, a couple of big upcoming series in the MLB. We're gonna kind of add this each week. Um, you know, you get two series a week, so there's always gonna be a few. Um, you know, big series across the league. So uh, starting tonight, the Yankees travel to Tampa Bay for a four-game series. It'll start tonight, wrap up Sunday. Um, the big series for the AL East, the two teams at the top right now. Um, hopefully Aaron Judge doesn't have any problems with the Creative Park in Tampa Bay, the indoor stadium. Hopefully he didn't have any issues there. You know, power might go out. Maybe he'll cry about it. I don't know. Um, and then the Brewers will travel to St. Louis for the Cardinals for another four-game set. They'll start tonight and Sunday. Typically the theme here is if a, game, if a, if a set starts on Thursday, it'll end Sunday. And the team will get off Monday or they'll start Monday and, and Wednesday and get a straight seven games or they'll get like, you know, a, a Monday off here and there. So kind of how it usually works. Um, we'll get a four game set that starts up big series, the NL Central. It's going to be a two team race there for the whole year. So, um, you know, if, if the St. Louis Cardinals get a sweep here, it could be a huge, huge series for them. And then the Blue Jays travel coast to coast. 
go to Anaheim, take on the Angels. Technically, the Los Angeles Angels, but they play in Anaheim. Um, two teams have started off well, uh, kind of look to keep their footing in a few games back from their respective divisions. Two teams that kind of opposite teams start the year, thought the Angels would be that great, thought the Blue Jays would be really good. Um, both teams that are in tight division races, kind of behind the leaders here, and um, I'm going to keep their footing. So should be a great series there. And then on Monday, the Padres will travel to St. Louis and what could be a wild card preview series, um, wrap up three games on Wednesday afternoon. Again, two teams that will probably be in the wild card, I think. Um, if I had to pick right now, it's probably those two teams. Um, Padres look good. St. Louis looks good. So it uh, should be a really hard-fought three-game set. And then Tuesday, pardon me, Angels will travel all the way to New York to take on the Yankees in the Bronx in that creative park with that short porch in right field which should be a great three-game set. Lots of homers for Otani down the line. See if Chuck can poke a couple opposite field in that creative park home run uh, home run field there at the short porch. Yeah, a few exciting series here coming up this week. I know the Orioles have like five games in four days versus the Red Sox. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see, you know, Andrews Yank. Angels Yankees. Uh, I think that'll be a really good series. You know, two teams that blend really well. Angels, to many surprise. Um, but a long flight for them. I think it's about four and a half, five hours. Uh, so we'll see if that affects them at all. It'll be fun to see, you know, how Judge hits in the creative park that we have there in the Bronx. Hopefully he gets a few more home runs to his resume. Got to pad that a little bit. Definitely. Um. And then kind of NCAA baseball, as we kind of said, we're going to get here in a second. Um, University of Kansas star shortstop Maui Aohana entered the transfer portal um, this Monday. He was by far and away their best player, uh, batted three, 396, 28 extra base hits, 48 RBIs. Um, he'll have he'll probably go wherever he wants to go. Um, I'm sure teams will have to, quote, reach out to him, but he can probably reach out to whatever teams he wants to go play for. Um, yeah. Love it he came to Texas Tech. Don't know if he will. Uh, I think he probably goes outside of the Big 12, probably goes to SEC, if I had to guess, get the most eyes on him in the SEC. So not a huge um, not a huge shock there. He's going to leave Kansas, though, batting that well. And then uh, plenty of coaching hires, all well, those other players are going to be entering the transfer portal, transfer portal here pretty soon. Um, you know, sees, you know the, the uh, conference tournaments wrap up here on Sunday. So you probably see a bunch of coaches get fired, a bunch of coaching changes go on with teams that are eliminated from the postseason. Um, so a lot of that will happen. Then same thing with portal players, guys. You know, from a team like Canada, a team like Kansas, who's going to have a guy under the portal because they suck. So, um, you know, maybe a bunch of teams: SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC, Big Twelve. All these, all these conferences will have schools with guys leaving and coaches getting fired. So um, that'll be something we watch out for here. And then in the coming weeks, and then uh, conference tournaments began yesterday. And Texas Tech is the two seed in the Big Twelve tournament. Um, SEC tournament, I be, I believe, began in the the first couple games Wednesday evening, I think, and then they got yeah. into the full swing on on Tuesday or Thursday rather, or Wednesday rather, and then Thursday. So, um, but yeah, a bunch of good matchups going on. All one game sets, double elimination, all these series. So our tournaments rather. So, um, Big Twelve tournament's been off to a great start so far. Um, it should be really good. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. Big Twelve tournament is in Texas for the first time. Uh, formerly played in Oklahoma City, now it's played at the Rangers' brand new. Uh, dome, revolving roof, retracting roof, should I say. Uh, Globe Life Field there in Arlington. But, yeah, Kansas, uh, when you when there's nine teams that play baseball in the Big 12 and eight teams make a tournament and you're the one that gets left out, uh, I don't think anyone will want to play there. So it's not shocking seeing Maui enter the portal. Um, I think early rumblings are saying he probably goes to LSU. But, yeah, definitely SEC is where I see him ending up. Also heard the Baylor coach is likely to get fired as they went 0-2 in the Big 12 tournament and their season is already over. Per source. Um, per source, uh, insider news. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how this conference tournament shakes out. Um, the seeding came out for the Texas Tech, uh, the Big 12 tournament. Tech was the two seed behind TCU by one game. Red Raiders host hosted OU uh, as we go back to last weekend for their final Big 12 series of the season. It was the weirdest series of the weekend. I know we both said we had weird feelings going into the weekend. I didn't know if they were good or bad. Uh, when I saw the first bit of the game on Thursday, the opener of the series, I knew they were for the worst. Uh, our two studs on the mound all year, uh, Andrew Morris and Brendan Birdsell, 
both kind of had their worst outings of the year. Um, looking back at it, I think, you know, Birdsell had mediocre outings against TCU and UT, but this one was a little bit worse. Um, but they lost the first two games. Like I said, they won the third, uh, which nobody expects them to win this point in the year as they won three Sunday game, or three finales all year. They actually tied OU 24-24 to in the series as a total. No likely see them again in the Big 12 tournament, and they play tonight at 7.30 Central. That should be a really fun game to watch, you know, as they're facing off yet again this year for the fifth time. Uh, Texas Tech last night opened up the Big 12 tournament versus Kansas State, who was the seven seed, and they won 5-3. to three. Uh, Shout out Mason Molina, pitched a gem. Uh, first game of the year, I think, that I was able to watch, and I didn't. Um, kind of disappointing. He went off yesterday. He went off. Yeah, kind of disappointed that I missed that, but maybe it's a sign that I need to watch, not watch them play. So we'll see if that holds true tonight as I will be following it. Um, but, yeah, he had, like, a no-hitter into the seventh, and then went with one out in the seventh, he gave up a few runs, and then was pulled. But through yeah, six he, and 30, he had no he was, hits. Yeah, he had uh, it was six and yeah six and a third. He had no hits or six and yeah six and a third. He had no hits. Um, and then he's he had like ten or eleven Ks. Um, he tied his he tied his conference season high uh, with seven like the fourth inning, and then he he broke it with like eight or I think he broke it with his season high was eight against Iowa and it was like seven against conference play. So he broke it in like yeah. the fifth or fifth inning. With nine Ks, um, great outing. Kind of what we've been waiting for from him. I uh, didn't love the collapse at the end. I don't even want to call it a collapse. I mean, a couple just they, they overturned a double play that would have that would have put him at two outs uh, through six and two thirds, no hit, and then um, they overturned the double play, and then they he walked the guy, and then a guy doubled. So when him like it was a collapse, it just I think they they left him in a little too long. I don't know what his pitch count was at. It was probably pretty high at that point. Um, probably touching almost a hundred. So. I think when a lot of pitchers get close to that century mark, even in an MLB, they get pulled. So they think college, you got to pull them a little closer. So, um, you know, Tim, Megamind Tadlock with the pitching decisions, but whatever. I mean, it didn't really hurt us that much. Um, yeah, I mean, wish they would have pulled them really a good. hair earlier, but yeah, they looked great. Really good on the base pass. Uh, a couple of really good decisions running there. Um, Dylan Carter with the triple off the base of the wall and left center, which is really deep there in Arlington. Uh, impressive night. Would have been a homer like anywhere else, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, but you don't see him complaining. Um, no, 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 no. Because Texas sure. Tech's baseball stadium is very hitter friendly, uh, as pretty much everyone knows around the Big 12. Uh, when you come to love it to play, there's going to be some home runs. Um, but yeah, I'll be excited to see, you know. We're the two seed, the Sooners are the three seed. We'll face them for the fifth time this year tonight at 7.30 Central, like I said. Before we get into the standings, we're going to do a quick uh, live score update from around, around the nation in the tournaments. Uh, Big 12, we got Texas uh, versus TCU. Texas is now up 5-2 to two in the top of the eighth, so that's likely the end of that. TCU will then play tomorrow in an elimination game, and the winner of that will play UT on Saturday. So, could see a rematch here in a couple of days between the Horn Frogs and the Longhorns. But yeah, it looks like TCU is heading to the loser's bracket after tonight. Shifted over to the SEC earlier today. Texas A&M, who came on real strong at the end of the regular season, run ruled Florida. Uh, seven innings, they won 10-0. And currently going on in the third inning right now, bottom of the third. Number one, Tennessee is up 5-0 on Vanderbilt early in that game. So that's impressive to see from them. And then the ACC, we got number two, Virginia Tech playing Clemson. And Virginia Tech's up three to two in the bottom of the second. And that's pretty much it right now in terms of major scores. I was looking earlier, Oklahoma State will play. If TCU, if UT holds on to win tonight, TCU and Oklahoma State will play an elimination game tomorrow where the loser goes home and the winner plays UT in the semifinals. Uh, Baylor went 0-2 in the tourney, like we mentioned. They'll be eliminated. And I believe if we have a score update, West Virginia baseball. Didn't they lose Oklahoma State today? They got rolled, didn't they? Trying to figure that out. It's like, I think it was like 11-1. West to Virginia. Wasn't like 11-1. Oh, here we go. Oklahoma State. Beat Baylor 11 to 1. That's what that was. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Uh, 
Kansas State eliminated West Virginia today in the loser's bracket. So West Virginia is the other team that went 0-2 this week. So Kansas State will play the loser of Tech versus Oklahoma, uh, which will be for a rematch with the winner of that game. So kind of confusing as we have a double elimination, kind of two halves, 18 bracket. Um, as we continue with, you know, big news, uh, the Big 12 accolades came out this year. Uh, to nobody's surprise, Ivan Melendez, the first baseman from UT, won MVP. Um, he's the best power hitter in the country this year, uh, and it isn't really close. Tommy Tanks, NC State is up there clo- like within four, I believe. Yeah, but it's I think like three or is four, at- yeah. Melendez is at 28 or 29 right now. So that's really impressive um, to see from a guy that, you know, played well last year too. But Texas Tech got a couple of awards of their own. Uh, Brendan Birdsell won Pitcher of the Year in the Big 12, which is really impressive. You know, a guy that definitely earned it. You could say someone else may get it. Uh, but Birdsell was top two in pretty much every stat. Um, a couple outings this year, you know, we mentioned this past weekend against OU. His ERA went from like a 2-1-2 to a 2-4-5. Um, and then against UT and TCU, I think he allowed four through five. So, I mean, three iffy, two iffy outings and one not so good outing, but the rest were just gems. Uh, went six, seven, eight innings this year multiple times. He really was a savior, you know, in some of those middle games of the series where offense couldn't get going. I know – you know, Wally maybe had a lesser game. One of his lesser games against UT was impressive, how he stayed in it and kept our offense, kept our offense within, you know, reach of UT. Um, as we get into the rankings, though, oh, forgot, Hudson White won catcher of – or freshman of the year in the Big 12. Really impressive. A guy that was – really didn't look that good going into conference play, similar to Braxton Fulford last year. Yeah. Um, Hudson looked really strong, you know, ever since conference play started up until this point. I think he had a hit last night. He's batting like 270 on the year. And, you know, when I was watching the Oklahoma State series, those announcers were saying that Hudson's the best catcher that they've seen all year. Uh, And I said it at some point earlier in the year, I'm like, I haven't seen anyone frame a low pitch better than Hudson in person. It's just insane how he's able to do that. He's got like the best pop time in the country. Yeah. Him and Owen Washburn should be very exciting to watch these next few years before. No doubt. They most likely go to the MLB. But uh, going to get to the rankings finally here as we kind of gone on some tangents this episode. Um, it's going to happen sometimes. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, but they came out Monday morning. Had a little bit more change than last week. I know, you know, we only mentioned teams that move up or down four or more spots in the rankings. So in terms of the teams that rose in the rankings, East Carolina went from unranked to 23. OU went from unranked to 22 after their series went over Tech. And LSU went from unranked to 21. Um, TCU went from 24 to 18 after they've won eight straight before they're going to lose tonight. And Maryland entered the top 10, going from 15 to 10. Uh, Impressive, you know, when we head to regionals and super regionals, which are basically like the first and second round of the playoffs, Maryland is actually third in RPI, but they don't have a top 100 strength of schedule. Um, as you look at the top 20 teams in RPI, they all have top 30 strengths of schedule, and Maryland's sitting there at number three with 102 strength of schedule. Kind of crazy, though. But they deserve it, you know. They deserve that recognition, um, but I don't think they deserve the number three RPI. They play in a really easy conference this year. They swept Michigan. Uh, they haven't really had any problems with anyone else. They're playing Indiana right now in the Big Ten tourney. Um, just kind of a bad conference baseball-wise this year outside of Maryland. So you can't buy too much into that record and that ranking uh, for them. But it's exciting to see them get some recognition and be a top-10 team. Uh, in terms of teams that dipped a little bit in the rankings, we mentioned Tech went from 5-8 to eight after their series loss. But UConn, Florida State, and Vanderbilt are now unranked. Uh, Florida State and Vanderbilt are two really, really good teams. You know, can beat anyone any day, have all the talent to do it. It's just they haven't really put it all together so far to this point. And it's really their last resort here is Vandy's going to be in an elimination game tomorrow, most likely. Um, Auburn went from 19 to 24. You know, a team that we went to see them early in the year, 
second game of the year we played them uh, in Arlington. And they were picked to finish 10th in the big or in the SEC. So we were kind of shocked that we lost to them. Uh, Birdsell had a really good outing. He only, only kept him to five innings, but he only allowed one run. I think we lost two to one. Yeah, it was a tight um, game. It was an upsetting loss, but yeah, tight game. But yeah, Auburn Auburn finished, I believe, top six in the SEC this year, and they've played well in the tourney. They have a guy that leads the whole country in average. Uh, yeah. A very strange walk-up song. I do remember that from him. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a little, first base a little weird, but that's okay. Yeah, but props to him. He's played real well for them and helped yeah. the resurgence of that ball club and then arkansas fell from seven to 13 you know a team that's been in the top 10 pretty much all year kind of had a you know a disappointing finish of the year they lost a series to vanderbilt and i'm not sure how they're doing an sec tournament right now but i believe they lost yesterday uh to alabama that's pretty much it for ncaa baseball like we said next week we'll have all the regional matchups set we'll have the conference champions and probably some more firings and players entering the portal but we're going to shift into basketball here before we hit the nfl to round out the episode today some texas tech news to kick off the basketball front former texas tech small forward primary ball handler if you ask him point guard one if you ask him kevin mcculler jr committed to the kansas jayhawks this past week uh it was between you know, he, he declared for the draft, so he was going through the draft process. But if he weren't to go that route, it was either Gonzaga or Kansas. Or early on, Gonzaga had the edge in recruiting. But ultimately, I think it came down to the fan base uh, that he, you know, enjoyed so much being here that Kansas has similar. Uh, and Bill Self, I mean, Mark Few and Bill Self are two incredible coaches, had a ton of success. But Bill Self has the championships to show it. And I think that's ultimately what, made him go there and hopefully they talked about his role before getting there because his choice truly embodied what it meant to be a snake. Uh, he truly, he took the Kevin Durant route. If you can't beat him, join him. Texas tech went one and two this past year against the Jayhawks three games. that really could have gone Tech's way within the final two minutes and they just collapsed. I know the game, Allen Fieldhouse and Lawrence, they were winning in double overtime by five with a minute left. And for some reason they blew it. And I said multiple times this past year that when tech played without Terrence Shannon jr. And Kevin McCullough jr. That they were better, honestly, you know, obviously it's good to have depth and they both provide good defense and can space the floor really nicely, but it's exciting to see the future of Texas tech. I don't know how much Kev is going to play next year, but at this point, I really don't care because I will take us against anyone at this point in the offseason. Texas Tech has had a monster week on the recruiting trail. The top power forward and center, this guy is 6'11". The top big man in the portal this offseason, Fardaw's Big Maple, AMAC, withdrew from the NBA. He was going through draft process like McCuller, uh, kind of – working out for some teams, figuring out, you know, what he was good at, what he needs to fix. You know, a lot of guys do this nowadays. He withdrew, and that means he officially signed with Texas Tech. He has two years of eligibility remaining, but he will only be with Tech this upcoming year as he is a projected lottery pick next year. Incredible pickup for Tech. Uh, if you followed Tech basketball last year, Bryson Williams, he signed with us after transferring from UTEP before Fresno State. Um, Fardaw's AMAC basically is a Bryson Williams plus. He is three inches taller. He plays better defense coming into Tech. Obviously, Bryson left being a really good defender. Just I mean, it's a product of playing with Mark Adams and having him coach you up for a whole year. Fardaw should be a lockdown defender by the time we get to the Big 12 tourney, you know, March Madness. Really exciting news. But that's not it. Not only is our front court set, with Kevin O'Banner and Fardaws. But top shooting guard in the class of 2023, Elijah, Prince of the North, Fisher, committed to Texas Tech today at 430 Central. Uh, and he also will reclassify to the class of 2022 and will join AMAC and the Red Raiders here once he graduates. Um, he'll be, you know, got some non-conference games here in November. It'll be really exciting to watch. I mean, I, I was excited for last year. This year, I'd a thousand times more excited uh, on paper tech looks a lot better this year 
Obviously, they don't have quite as much experience, but we got a few transfers coming in, you know. Um, forget his name, Demarion Williams, is it? Yes, yeah, Demarion Williams. Yeah, him, uh, Harmon from Oregon, and now AMAC from Utah, uh, the Utah Valley Conference. Really, really exciting. Um, really, the sky's the limit for the squad early on predictions. I mean, it could be another Elite Eight Final Four run for these guys. Our, you know, Elijah Fisher was initially the second-ranked player in the class of 2023, dipped a little bit in the rankings. I don't know why. But really exciting. You know, we got Pop Isaacs, Lamar Washington, Robert Jennings, Harmon, Nadolny. It's exciting to see these guys. It's going to be fun to watch the chemistry and how they all work together here in the offseason and in non-conference before the season kicks off. But, yeah, I mean – Incredible to see what this squad could do come conference play. I think, you know, Baylor might take a hair step back this year, but then again, they got a couple of five stars coming in. They could be really good. Uh, Kansas is always bound to be really good, even after losing Baji and Brown um, and Lightfoot. You know, they have a good squad always. So it's really going to be fun to see. Iowa State's going to take a step back, I think, with Brockington and Tyrese Hunter being gone. It said the same for Kansas State with Nigel Pack going too. Yeah. I mean, TCU will be probably fourth. UT and TCU will probably fight for fourth in the conference. And then Tech, Kansas, Baylor will be fighting for those top three spots if just off the rip predictions here as the rosters kind of shape out. Tech has one scholarship left likely to go into the season with that scholarship as they did last year, uh, how they were able to get Jalen Tyson during the season. I think the roster pretty much set, honestly. I mean, they have the front court, they have the back court to compete, and I think you can fill out many different rosters with all the depth they have currently. Yeah, I mean, so here, here's the thing. Like, they – I mean, this is easily the deepest roster Tech's ever had going into a season. Um, I mean, even you look back at the – 2019 season when they went, I guess 2018, summer 2018 going into 2019 when they made that final four run. I mean, it's the championship. I mean, that, that was a deep roster, but nobody really knew it yet. Like, nobody really knew what a lot of these guys were going to do. I think they've got a lot more proven commodities this year. Um, I think you know what you're getting in Fardaz Amick. I think you know what you're getting in Elijah Fisher for the most part. You know what you're getting in Davion Harmon. So um, you're getting KO back, which is huge. Um, I mean, I'm, I could not be more excited about this team right now. Um, you know, Fardaz was a huge get. You know, when he committed, we were really excited, but, we you know, we were kind of on the fence if he'd be come back to the draft or come back to college. So it's huge to get him. I think, you know, they present one of the best backcourts in the, in the country or front courts in the country with, with him and KO, certainly one of the best rebounding duos in, in the country. Um, then you throw in, I mean, this front court's going to be loaded. I mean, it's going to be, you know, I was, I was looking on after uh, kind of looking at the roster after Elijah committed today, and I'm looking at it, it's going, man, and that starting five is going to be, you know, probably Harmon is going to start to start the year. Harmon or Pop Isaacs will be kind of that point guard role, um, kind of as you get into conference play in the starting five. And then you get Fisher at the two, uh, Jalen Tyson at the three, KO at the four, and and Fardos at the five. I mean, it could be a seriously good lineup, and you're going to have some really good bench depth this year too. Um, you know, not really sure what Clarence Ndoni is going to do. No, not sure if he'll be back, but you'll have K.J. Allen who – Looks to be stepping into a much bigger role with another year of coaching from Mark Adams. Daniel Bacho, same thing, should have a huge, huge jump in his development again this year. Um, it's a really, really bright stuff for the Texas Secret Raiders. Should be a really, really good season. Um, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Um, that's probably it, though, for college basketball. I'll probably move on to the NBA, NBA here, NBA playoffs. Um, finals start on uh, next Thursday on the on June 2nd. Should be really good. Really looking forward to it. Um, looks like we kind of have the matchup shaping up a little bit here. Um Boston is now up 3-2 on Miami after taking last night a dominating win, 93-80. to um, He led the entire game three. Celtics led the entire game four. Um, kind of back and forth mood swings, if you will, from each team. And then, um, you know, Boston kind of closed them out in the second half last night with a big second half. So, um, you know, look for that series to maybe wrap up in Boston on uh, on Friday evening. And then uh, in the Western Conference, we got the Mavs are down 3-1 to against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Warriors are up 3-1. They were up 3-0. Dallas uh, avoided the sweep on Tuesday evening. Uh, Luka Dodgers, I believe, had 40 and like 40 plus points and like 12 plus rebounds. He had a monster game. So um, definitely a good outing from him. What you expect from a star 
And again, four backs against the wall, but I'm going to bet on the Golden State Warriors to take it home tonight, uh, 8 Central in San Francisco. And then game six for Eastern Conference Finals, like I said, will be Friday evening at 7.30 Central in Boston. Um, I'm taking the home teams to win both those games and close it up and go to the NBA Finals, uh, Warriors-Celtics. For me, I'm taking Warriors in, in six-ish. I know Breath feels the opposite way there. Um, I just I think it's going to be a great finals either way. Um, I think both those teams match up well against each other, so should be a great, great finals there. Yeah, I'm excited to see how these conference finals shake out here. As one could be concluded tonight, uh, you know, we got game five Western Conference finals tonight in San Fran. I think the Warriors win that one. It's really – hasn't really been a fair series. I mean, the one game the Mavs won, they shot like 40-something threes and made 50% of them, which is just crazy. Not something you always see and really rare coming from that lineup that doesn't really play – I don't know what kind of league they're playing in outside of American Airlines Center. It seems like they just get destroyed every game. Um, but I'll be looking forward to see that Eastern Conference Finals. I think both the teams in the Eastern Conference Finals would beat the Warriors in five or six. Um, I had Boston playing the Warriors in the finals and Boston winning in six. It'll be exciting to see how it plays out. You know, Boston impressive win last night in Miami. Uh, you know, I could say Boston's going to just clinch it in Boston, easy thing to say. But I thought, you know, Milwaukee went to Boston and beat them in game five, and then Boston went to Milwaukee and back to Boston and won the series. So Celtics were down 3-2, and they came back to win the series to face the Heat. So anything can happen, honestly. You know, Heat have kind of looked pretty bad this past couple games. But then again, the NBA playoffs, you know, these two teams are very similar, and that's why I think, I mean, the way they play, you're either on or you're not, and that's why there's been a lot of blowouts in this series, a lot of big leads, not really many lead changes. So it could go any way tomorrow night as they play game six. Uh, but I'll take Boston tomorrow night. I just think they're going to finally find their groove there at home and return to full form. Marcus Smart should be back in what could be a game to get to the finals for the first time in a little while. It'll be exciting to see, you know, presumably what's going to be Celtics versus Warriors. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely should be good there and kind of <clears throat> kind of wrap it up here, shift to the NFL. Um, not much this week, honestly. I mean, kind of like we said, we're in kind of the dead period here um, in the NFL, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, grasping at straws for news right now in the NFL, which kind of happens in every sport at this point. Um, but NFL uh, OTAs began for many teams this week, so – Kind of workouts up at the up at the of the facilities, doing football drills, that kind of thing. No contact, of course. It's all walkthroughs for the most part. But kind of getting rookies in there with the with the full teams. It's optional. It's not required. But uh, most teams, most of their veteran guys are there. Most of the team captains are there, for the most part. Um, There's always a handful of guys that, like I know, the Bosa brothers don't go to OTAs. Both of them always go train in Florida, where they're you know they went to high school and everything in, in Fort Lauderdale. So they're out there training. Um, Nick and Joey both. I mean, there's a couple examples of, of star players that all pro type guys that don't go to OTAs. But other than that, I mean, the most part, most guys go to OTAs, um, which is, I mean, pretty common that most guys go. And then on it was announced on Monday that the Arizona Cardinals will be the team featured on Hard Knocks this year. Um, looking forward to that. It should be interesting to see where the whole Kyler Murray plot line plays out here. Um, he's holding out. It sounds like he's not at OTAs. He wants a new contract. It doesn't sound like he's going to play on this new on this contract he currently has. He wants a new deal. So. We'll see how that goes. Um, should be an interesting plot to kind of follow throughout Hard Knocks. And then um, other news, it was announced on Tuesday that the NFL combine will remain in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium for at least the next two years. Um, I kind of hate that just as like a football fan that wants to go to the combine as like a huge draft fan. Um, I know Brett and I talked about this. It would be great if it was like in Dallas or Houston. That way we could get out to it and kind of go see it. Um, you know, I'd love to go to the combine one of these days, but. At the same time, I also recognize that, like, most of the combine is all like, the interviews and stuff, so you don't get to see a ton of on-field stuff. So I get that. But it'll still be pretty cool to go. Um, but then again, Indy's a great host city. They've always been a great host city. So it doesn't doesn't shock me that it's going to stay there in Indianapolis. Yeah, no, not surprised here. Um, I think Goodell said it's something like they're comfortable with it being in Indy, and it's always gone smoothly in all the years that they've done it there. So that's why kind of what led to them redoing doing it re-up in their deal, I guess, uh, with keeping it in Indy. But we did have some signings this past week. You know, free agent QB Nick Foles, former Super Bowl winner, signed a two-year deal with Indianapolis Colts on Monday. Uh, presumably, 
presumably to be the backup to Matt Ryan. Kind of similar play styles. Uh, really solid QB room for them there. Kind of, you know, if anything happens, they'll have another guy to fill in. And then free agent pass rusher Jadavian Clowney re-signed with the Browns on a one-year $11 million deal. I do that had nine sacks last year. Impressive year after he kind of had a couple down years. 11 mil, maybe a little steep, but it was apparently reported that the deal was done a few days before it was reported, and they were just finalizing numbers and terms. Uh, but he also reportedly turned down deals from other teams that were worth 14 to 15 mil per year. I don't know why he did. Um, I don't know if those deals were long-term and he wanted a one-year deal. I don't know all the details to that. But definitely surprising uh, to see him take that much less money to stay in Cleveland where they're probably going to have three wins halfway through the year. Um, the Falcons linebacker, Deion Jones, he'll be out for the rest of the offseason with a shoulder injury. I don't know what, if he'll be ready for week one or what. I'll be interested to keep, keep an eye on and see what happens there. Kind of the first big maybe injury news since OTAs have kicked off, rookie minicamp kicked off. Kind of really haven't had much injury-wise, which is always good to hear. Um, and then last little bit of news, the Washington Commanders. Um, owner Dan Snyder might be forced out. Um, I don't know who would buy the team. Rumors are saying it's Jeff Bezos is one of the guys inquiring about that. But they bought $100 million of land in Prince William County, Virginia. Uh, I think it's about 200 acres that it was totaled up to be. Um, it would be to build a new stadium. Eventually, when they you know get they get the new brand, Commanders now kind of want to reset on the franchise and put all the bad stuff in the past here in the next couple of years, I would assume. Uh, so exciting if I'm a Commanders fan. I have two family members who are big Commanders fans, and, you know, they're excited about this. I saw some renderings, just, you know, CGI kind of of what the Commander Stadium would look like. It's kind of between a mix between SoFi and the Raiders Stadium, a little bit mixed between both. Uh, the whole thing looks to be glass and kind of a red hue which would be really cool to see. Definitely cool to visit. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I really want to go to a game there if that ends up being the case. But I think that is about it. Uh, you got any comments on these last few things? No, I mean, a bunch of stuff today. Kind of went off a couple tangents here, but it's always good to have a good time on the pod. Um, love doing this kind of thing. Really enjoying it so far. 13 episodes in. A bunch of mock draft Mondays is what we did. Um Keep keep listening. Keep giving us falls on uh, Instagram, Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. Um, look forward for next week's episode. That's, I think that's about it for me. Yeah, you know, I always like doing this for you guys. Uh, we're going to keep it rolling every Thursday, kind of get into more of a rhythm here as we've done a few Thursdays in a row. But in five minutes, Texas Tech baseball is starting. So got to tune into that. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay tuned wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll see you again in a week. See you guys later.